0: Hi, I'm Roger Barron, celebrating five years as a Pioneer sales rep from Northwestern Alberta. And this is the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. When it comes to club root in canola, well, those that have it know just how destructive it can be. And as it gradually spreads itself across western Canada and even can be an issue in central Canada for those growing spring canola, finding the right strategy to avoid the massive yield drag that comes with it is obviously key for anyone. So in today's episode, we dig deep into club root management and are fortunate to kick things off with a research scientist at Corteva that's been looking at dealing with and trying to find solutions for clubroot since day 1 of its discovery. Dan Stanton, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, no problem. So when we talk about clubroot, I mean your name was at the top of our list in terms of people to talk to because and and one of the big reasons is this has been a project of yours for your career, really, um, you know, in terms of when it was first discovered in Alberta. Can you take us back to those kind of early 2000s, what that was like? And, and, and do you remember when you found it? Did you think it was going to be the problem it is today?
1: So I think it was identified in 2003, close to Edmonton by one of the agronomists uh, just north of the city. And, you know, clover in Canada had no resistance to it. Uh, it's a disease that can produce hundreds of millions of spores out of every single gall that's produced in the plants. And it had a really long soil life from studies in Europe. So it was really scary for sure. Um, We weren't sure if it was going to be a major, well, we thought it was going to be a major threat to the industry if we didn't take a really, really proactive approach. And so we got started creating some resistance um, using some European material right away.
0: So then, I, I mean, it sounds like having that bit of a European experience kind of kind of helped us anyway in the short term in those early days, just getting caught up.
1: Yeah, we're kind of lucky. Um, we have breeding programs and um, winter canola in Europe, and so canola um, has been, you know, infected with clubroot in Europe for a long period of time. Um, root is endemic to Europe, and so. Uh, there were a few varieties out there that were resistant, and we could leverage those into Canadian varieties to get the first resistance out in Canada. Um, first thing i to do is test to make sure that that resistance even worked. And so I think it was 2007, we got a collaboration going with Dr. Steven Stralkoff at the University of Alberta. Uh, and I set up basically a testing system to try to see if any of the stuff we were accessing would work in Canada.
0: Then if we go back again, kind of to those early days and what we've learned over the last 20 years, um, because, you know, as we know, not every canola field is impacted by it. You know, this is very geographical in terms of where the impact is. Can, can you give those that don't have experience a bit of an idea? Like, what is the impact like and what have you seen as it's kind of marched its way around uh, Western Canada?
1: So in the early days of Club Root, um, the growers that had it initially knew lots about the impact because they're growing susceptible crops. Um, you know, the economics in Western Canada f- uh, necessitate growing canola quite frequently. And so, you know, there were huge spore loads in that field, in those fields that um, had clubroot initially, and it really just devastated the crops. Um, you could get massive stand reductions and really high spore loads. Um, you get lots of gall formation. Um, a lot of the grain filling happens throughout August in, in Western Canada here, especially in Alberta where it's cooler. And so if, if the roots are no longer capable of taking up water in August, you've basically lost most of your yield. You know, some of those fields, I'm thinking 20% is something that I remember from, from those early days. And so you know, if you take a, a 60 or 70 bushel canola crop that we bring farmer a lot of, a lot of profit and you know, make his organization pretty stable... Reduce that to 20%. You're not even covering your costs anymore, right? So devastating disease. And every time you grow a susceptible and and have those galls, you know, you're increasing that spore load by millions of times. And so it's just going to be worse the next time. Like when the county stepped in and, and mandated four years off of canola for a lot of these growers, they probably wouldn't have gotten a crop in those four years anyway with some of the high spore loads that they had from growing susceptibles. So it was just devastating.
0: Yeah, devastating for sure. Then, when you talk about those susceptible varieties, w- once some of those, um, you know, resistant varieties started coming out, um, you know, w- what's the impact been then, and how ha- how important is it really to make sure that that resistant variety is in there?
1: So, the resistance made a huge difference. I mean, obviously, growers could grow canola again in those areas where they had infestations for a while. There, there were growers that were kind of on the fringe areas, and they were kind of in denial about club root moving into the areas. And so they continued to grow susceptibles. And, you know, those guys club root established on their farms and really has a probably forever footprint there now. As more and more of that got out and growers started to realize that, Hey, this is moving with wind and animals and it's moving on equipment. There was a lot of equipment moving around the area because of rented land. Um, growers started being more proactive and, and growing resistance ahead of the infection. And so the ones that got the infection early on have quite a bad problem and often have some new resistance-breaking types. Those ones that were proactive about it, you know, they've prevented those loads from establishing on their farms and, and generally are in a pretty good position right now for club root.
0: Well, I'm glad you bring that up when you talk about kind of the resistance-breaking, um, you know, that can happen because obviously it's something that we're familiar in a lot of other areas, um you know when we talk about the challenge that that might bring in the future you know you're you're on the research side you're the one that's you know kind of saving us from ourselves in this situation um you know what what's it look like and what's the future look like to make sure that we continue to have these resistant varieties
1: if we think about um things like wild oats or kochia, you know, it's a pretty visible thing that you can see for resistance breaking. Uh, wild oats, you know, you're getting a few hundred seeds per plant. Kochia, I think someone told me there was 20,000 seeds on a plant. Clubroot, you're looking at 100, 200, 300 million spores from one plant. And so it's underground. You don't see it as well, but the the resistance breaking we see in weeds is very similar to what we see in club root. With clubroot, what we have in Western Canada are pathotypes. And so, it's in the field and within a gall, there's a mixture of different types within that. The ones that can overcome resistance that's in those cultivars, those are the ones that increase in that field. Um, the ones that are controlled, you know, they decrease over time. But because you're dealing with hundreds of millions of spores, there's going to be some resistance breaking spores within that spore population in pretty much every field and every gall. And so we have to be really careful about what we do with clever.
0: Then, then for you, you know, what's, what's you and your team, you know, kind of working on where's this rank? Because I know it's, it's not just to say that, okay, this is, this is the only priority. Obviously there's a lot of priorities all leading to the great challenge that like yields got to improve. That's really at the end of the day for, you know, any grower, that's kind of priority number one. Um, you know, h- how does this rank and, h- and how do you try to fit all of the different challenges that come with breeding new canola hybrids?
1: So we've taken clubroot as one of the major threats to canola production and one of the major threats to growers organization or operations, basically. Um, if you let clubroot get established, um, if you get these massive spore loads, basically you're going to put the resistance genes up against this unsurmountable challenge, with this disease. It'll, there'll be these resistance breaking types within the populations. Um, You know, the, the resistance you have will eventually be useless and we won't be able to grow canola. And so, you know, while we're prioritizing yield as number one, uh, collaborative resistance has been uh, quite a high priority for us. And you can see within our lineup, basically early on, we realized that if we took single genes and put them up against club one after another, after another, the Virulent ones within those populations would overcome those genes one by one, and we'd end up with nothing. Um, there's not that many resistance genes that are easily accept- accessible within canola, and so uh, we quickly decided that what we were going to do is try to build a, a model system where we're going to stack genes. So we'll combine two genes together. That gives us a multiplicative effect, so we get a lot better resistance than a single gene, and then we'd also have rotational options. So if Clubrit sees these two genes one year, you know, the next year you'd have wheat and then a lot of growers go back to canola again, we'd want different resistance genes in that next canola variety so that the ones that increased on that two gene stack or, you know, that Clubrit resistant hybrid um, don't see the same resistance again. And so they don't continue building up in that field. And so it's a real proactive strategy. It's kind of something that hasn't really been done much before, but, you know, we've got a lot of those options available now for growers.
0: Now, obviously, for growers where this is a challenge, this is something they're well aware of, they're well informed on, they're, you know, taking that action. But then we've got areas that maybe are, you know, close to club root known areas, but, you know, not not necessarily known to have it. And you've got other growers that, you know, think it's a long ways away yet. Can you give me an idea, how how important is it still to think about some of these resistant traits, Um, you know, particularly when it comes to some of these stack
1: traits? So prevention for clever is really key. You know, if a single plant can produce 100 million or 200 million or 300 million spores, that's a massive, massive amount of infectious particles in your field. It only takes about a thousand spores per gram of soil to cause an infection. So, you know, by the time you're getting a whole quarter section of, of, infested with clobrate, you're talking about trillions or quadrillions even of spores. And so that's a problem that doesn't really go away very easily. If you take a two-year break from canola, so that most people just do a one-year break from canola, they'll grow canola wheat, canola wheat. If you grew canola wheat, wheat, and then go back to canola, you'd have a 90% reduction in those spores. Um, if you let it get to the point where you're in the quadrillions, you know, dividing that by 10 still leaves you in the hundreds of billions of spores. And so you're going to have a huge problem and it's not going to go away in just a couple of years. And so drawers that don't have clever yet really have a lot of tools available to help them. You know, there's different resistance options out there and they can use those to prevent clever from ever establishing. If you've got a little piece of soil coming into your farm and you know, it's got a few thousand spores on it. If it hits a susceptible, then that's when it grows a big gall on that plant and makes hundreds of millions of spores. If it, ends up with a susceptible plant near it and it doesn't produce any galls, then, you know, in a year or two, those few thousand spores are are down to a level where they're unlikely to even infect your canola. And so prevention is is really the key to clubroot. Not only prevention of the initial clubroot infestation, but prevention of some of these new races from spreading, because some of them are much worse than others in terms of their ability to infect the new varieties.
0: Then when you do talk about prevention, Dan, can you walk me through maybe a couple of other things that producers need to remember and need to keep in mind? You mentioned rotation as being kind of an obvious one, but what are some of those other things that, that we maybe just need that reminder on in terms of how can we either A, prevent it from even landing, but if it, if it does, maybe prevent it from spreading quite as quickly?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest things is movement of soil. In the initial days of clever, before that was understood, there was a lot of soil movement going on. Growers are busy. Things can get muddy. Equipment can carry massive amounts of soil on them, right? Um, there were lots of growers that, you know, trying to expand their farms usually has acreage all over the place now. And so you're moving from county to county, uh, often moving equipment from county to county, moving across rivers and other natural barriers, um, and, you know, if, if growers can get the soil off their equipment, um, you know, that makes a huge difference because that equipment's going directly into where you're planting canola. Um, other industries have had to adopt practices to avoid movement of soil. And so, you know, oil industry, you see a lot of rig mats out here now, a lot of washing stations, a lot of ways to prevent that move. Clubber can still move. I mean, if you have a water course carrying soil from one field to the another... If you have a lot of wind erosion happening, I've had a few growers say that where deer and moose and stuff cross into their field, they'll find clubber patches. And so, you know, you have to assume clubber will get onto your field through different methods or means. Um, And so putting a resistant variety down there is what prevents it from
2: establishing there.
0: Well, it sounds like to me, you know, the plan really needs to be this combination of, okay, we can maybe slow this to think that we can, you know, stop, you know, or, or completely eliminated, I think, you know, very much appears to be off the table, but as growers, the best mode really is, okay, how, how can we at least slow it down to one prevent it from, you know, being everywhere real quickly and two to make sure that those resistant hybrids remain as absolutely effective as possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really the goal. We can see some differences between different places and how, Clebert was handled. Um, you know, duke County put in four-year bands immediately, and we're seeing some resistant breaking types in Leduc County popping up here and there. Um, but um, there's seems to be less diversity than what we see in, you know, Sturgeon County or Westlock County. And I think some of that has to do with how well this or how much the spore loads built up and how many times the original resistance was deployed against it. You know, some of these places, like um, Westlaw County, is where they first identified five X. And there's quite a few different types now. And uh, if on your farm you have a new type of clubroot that hasn't been seen before, it's unknown how many of these resistant hybrids will be able to prevent, um, you know, galls from forming. And if you look over in Saskatchewan, where clubroot showed up after resistance showed up, um, the situation seems to be quite a bit better. Uh, We're not seeing as much of a race shift as we saw in the Edmonton area from those high spore loads. And, you know, that really bodes well for longevity of these resistance genes and the ability to manage things.
0: Well, it definitely seems like, you know, it's a challenge that we're going to have to continue to look at, but but certainly appreciate you and your team's work on, you know, continuing to try to find those hybrids that that help at the end of the day, get to the mark that, you know, we all need, which is the yield. So thanks for that. And thanks very much for joining the podcast today, Dan. Now, with that background from Dan, we thought the best approach would be to move to what growers are actually doing now and can do in the future. For that, we met up with two growers in Saskatchewan, Garen Reworks of Cut Knife Saskatchewan and John Larry of St. Walberg's, as well as Corteva's Portfolio Marketing Manager for Western Canada, Mark Kucharin. Well, first of all, Mark, John, Garen, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. Um, we just were talking with Dan a lot about kind of the history of Clubroot in Western Canada and, and some of the things that. Pioneer and Corteva are doing in terms of bringing new hybrids to the market to try to support growers. Um, maybe I'll start with you, gentlemen, just to talk a little bit about what your experience with Club Root is. John, my understanding is that you've got Club Root in your area. What's your experience been with it?
3: Uh, we start, I guess we first kind of got involved, not involved, but found out we had Club Root about uh, two, two, three years ago. And I had a lot of background information when I started with Pioneer, so that kind of was more prepared to deal with it that way. And we've been using uh, genetics and rotation as kind of our two biggest things. Cleaning equipment when we go into that area. And, yeah, just trying to scout for it in other areas and hope it doesn't spread.
0: (laughs) Hope. That seems like one of the things that that growers want to try to, do. you <laughs> think that hope will get it, but you know, you said two years ago was kind of when you found it. Yeah. Um, was it a case of you, maybe you had it before then and it just keeps spreading or like, how did you determine you had it two years ago?
3: Um, I'm sure it's been in the area for a lot longer than that, but the way, yeah, uh, the government came out and tested that land and came back with a positive test. So that's how we found out that we actually had it in that location. So,
0: Then, Garen, you don't have it specifically on your place, but we were talking a little earlier about how it's in the area. Like, what do you think of clubbird? Is it something you worry about?
2: Yeah, we're we're concerned about it all the time. Uh, We use genetics and crop rotation to try to prevent it. And uh, we just try to do all the easy things to prevent it.
0: When you talk about some of those easy things preventing it, what would some of the things be? Like you mentioned, crop rotation is obviously an easy one, just rotating it. But what are some of the other things you do?
2: I uh, change up our genetics. Uh, we do try to uh, be a little bit careful around when we're close to fields that we know have it. And we try to do them last in our rotation and moving machinery. And uh, that's about it.
0: Mother Nature probably has a different strategy, though, when you're trying <laughs> to do those fields last. Um, so then is it a case of, you know, some of the other places in the area that that do have it? Are are those growers having an impact in your area? Are they seeing yield drag?
2: No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you can pinpoint areas that have had it, and guys do watch them, and everybody uh, keeps an eye out. But I don't think there's been any yield response. Now
0: then, Mark, in terms of, you know, here, here's two growers that, you know, either have it or are concerned about it. Um, you know, you're covering Western Canada. Is this something, is this common for every grower across Western Canada to be worried about club root? I think
4: a large part of where the, the disease developed kind of in around the Edmonton corridor. When you think back, um, a, a while ago, right? So a lot of those growers are familiar with club root in that Edmonton corridor and now it's expanded. If you look at the provincial club root distribution maps, you can see how it's spread the last four or five years. So I think growers in Western Canada are starting to realize it more and the disease is spreading, um, from where it's originating, right? So they're taking precautions like these gentlemen mentioned already to manage the disease. But I think when you look even at the number of acres that club root resistant hybrids are growing on right now, there's about 75% of the 22 million acres of canola that have club resistant genetics, um, out there right now. Yeah. I think large part of it is the, the industry realizes that the club is a disease that we need to take seriously and need to be proactive on. Right. So a lot of the hybrids that are being developed by us as well as other seed companies have clever resistance, right? So that's part of it, but also just growers knowing, um, maybe to use a club resistant hybrid, if one doesn't have one, even if you don't have the disease is kind of what our message is to a lot of the farmers in Western Canada.
0: Then in terms of John, you, you know, you've, you've got it. How do you go about selecting some of those hybrids with, you know, various, um, types of resistance in them? to try to prevent any
3: big problems? Uh, just rotating the, uh, like, CR1 to the CR2, and then will pioneer, I think there's six and seven. I'm not 100% sure on that, but, yeah, just rotating the different genetics so you're not using the same one back-to-back. in three year rotation, so you'll be using the same genetic every one in nine if it works out the right way. So that's kind of how we're trying to mani- yeah, mitigate that.
0: Because, Mark, when we talk about that resistance, is it a case of, you know, growing the same hybrid over
4: and over and over again is going to be a problem down the road for growers? Yeah, I think that's where we're starting to see some, well, breakdown of the first generation, if you want to call it, or the, the Mendel genetics, like the first five pathotypes of we initially came up with in our base genetics. And so as you, as you grow that same resistant genetics on the piece of land, the pathogen kind of changes and, and morphs over time, right? So... If you don't rotate those different hybrids with different uh, pathotypes controlling, right? And growers not knowing what pathotypes they have in their seed hybrid. So that's why a large part of our message and our communication to farmers and also in the marketplace is that we want to tell the growers what what pathotypes of club root that they're controlling with each hybrid and be able to rotate to those hybrids year after year or every second or third year, whenever they're growing canola. Then,
0: Garen, you know, you don't have it. Is that still something that you think about doing? Like when we talk about trying to prevent resistance of these genetics, is is it something that you, you know, play around with hybrid selection because of?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Originally, as long as it said club root resistant, you bought it. But now everybody's getting a little more educated, and I think rotation of your club root uh, CRs is, is important.
0: And Mark, it sounds like you know this. This is a conversation we've had on you know previous years of the podcast when we talk about weed resistance. This really is the exact same thing. It's just a disease in the soil.
4: Yeah, it's the some of the I guess similar similarities between weed resistance and disease resistance are there, but obviously disease. Or lot have a lot more spores, right? And this disease, in particular, moves in soil water, right? So, um, when you got millions of soils spores in those in the soil water, it's hard to control, right? That's why it makes club very difficult disease to control from field to field, right? And a lot of our our field team now, and and that's our message to the field, is to kind of minimize soil movement from the field too, to help control the spread of those. If you have a highly infected field in the Edmonton area and you're moving that soil and it's transferring to that other, those new fields, right? Infecting new crops, right? So that's part of the message too, that we have is try to clean, minimize the soil movement as well as use resistance genetics to try to minimize the disease. Cause if I think back to Edmonton, that Edmonton area was about 20 years ago. And now we've seen, when you look at the Alberta distribution map, it's it's spread quite a bit from Edmonton all the way into Saskatchewan and also in northern Alberta as well, right? So, and even Manitoba's got some areas if you look at the Manitoba map.
3: Um, so, yeah, I know no one probably wants to talk about this, but do you think part of the distribution of Club Root has to do with, like, where the oil field is heavily active and they're moving equipment back and forth? Because, like, where Edmonton is, where it started, a lot of oil activity up where we are where we are in the northwest of Saskatchewan, there's oil everywhere. And I don't people don't want to point fingers, but I think that has a lot to do with it, with not cleaning equipment and it's going back and forth in those areas.
0: Well, that, and, and I wonder too, like, you know, when you see what growers are today compared to 20 years ago, you're going further. Yep. Like it, it just seems like between all of these reasons of equipment moving around, like that probably has not helped the situation.
4: Yeah. I would say that was somewhat of the spread as well. Right. The not the only problem, but I mean, even the Alberta... Alberta Agriculture has come up with like sanitization protocols, right? When you look at what they have on their website and some other, and moving field to field from the agriculture standpoint, they're trying to do some work even with the uh, the oil fields as well, right? To try to try to minimize that spread as well. Then, can you now walk us through a little bit, Mark,
0: in terms of you know this this new hybrid, um, you know, comes out of the lab how how do you go about ensuring that that then is going to work, you know, not just, you know, in, in a, in an area or in a plot that is very protected, but obviously in real world scenarios like John and Garren's?
4: Yeah. If I have to take it back just one little step, I mean, we've been working on, we've been breeding canola in Western Canada for 30 plus years. Right. And so, we we were we started as kind of the leader in clubroot if i think back to 15 years ago when we first launched uh, H29 was a hybrid that we launched with the first clubroot resistant hybrid on the marketplace right and so we've been breeding and developing and improving our our say canola germplasm for a while right and our on our breeders we have six of them in western canada working on improving clubroot and Dan is one of them and in, in our key canola growing areas, right? And so when I think about the resistance that he's breeding into those those different hybrids, I guess, is like CR1 to CR7. So the, the what we're doing is trying to use that information from our research team and communicate to farmers that, hey, Mr. Grower, this hybrid will control these pathotypes, this new hybrid will control different pathotypes and, and brings in new sources of resistance from our breeding program to help. Change it up so that the pathogen is always is not effectively the pathogen can inf- infect those those hybrids because it's a new source of resistance, right? And so the roots come out clean versus a CR one that if you planted it in some of those initial fields would be inf- infected with clubroot galls, right? So if we can keep the pathogen keep our genetics changing ahead of the pathogen is key, right? And it would be proactive approaches is what we're trying to strive for at Corteva. And and if I can just back up just one second for
0: those that maybe haven't been focused on what sources of resistance are there, when you talk about CR7, what are you talking about there? And how how does that set it apart from, you know, past hybrids or other hybrids are on the market?
4: Yeah, I should just back up a little bit. Like CR1 to CR7 is kind of our internal designation of the club root sources or genes that we're putting in there. Um, It doesn't mean that CR1 isn't not no good anymore versus CR seven. It's not increasing like CR seven's the best. We're just giving it different numbers to say this is a new source of resistance so that CR five might be just as good as CR six, seven in a field, but it's got a different pack club root package. So you could actually rotate seven with a five or go back to a, if you had CR seven, one year you can go back to a CR three. You're just keeping that pathogen on its toes per se, I guess. Right. And, growing different club root hybrids that give you the yield that you want at the end of the day. So then, John, in terms of when you are then going
0: out to customers, um, you know, with these new hybrids over the last few years and obviously moving forward, What's that conversation look like with those growers to say, you know, here, here's seven sources of resistance, but, uh, but
3: obviously is also going to perform in yield. What do those conversations look like? Um, go out to the farmer and kind of just, if they grew like a CR one last time, get them to move to the next one. And some farmers like that one variety. They want to keep growing that same one over and over, try to get them to change that and go to a different one, which is not easy and not everyone does it, but. That's kind of how my conversation, I try and gear them towards the newer, not so much the newer varieties, but just a different one than what they've previously been doing.
0: And Garen, when, when you're picking hybrids, obviously, you know, the, the speed at which these are coming out, um, you know, continues to get faster and faster. You know, what convinces you that this new hybrid is something you want to try or you want to put in more acres around
2: your firm? I guess normally the, the newest hybrids are the, have the latest genetics and the highest yielding and um, other traits that we want. So it's a pretty easy sell to try to get a guy to grow the newer varieties.
0: And then in terms of like is helped with that yield data, test plots, what else is it? Just a case of, you know, your pioneer rep comes and says, this is one you should try.
2: Yeah, it's a pioneer rep. It's independent testing. It's We get all this information and you just look at it and, I guess, pick the information you want to use to make your decision.
0: So then in terms of, John, just as we kind of wrap this up, um, you know, going forward, you know, he, here's obviously the long journey we've had of Club Brook, you know, gradually spreading to you having it two years ago to you let's be honest, probably getting it in the next few years. Um, You know, what do you think about in terms of managing club root moving forward as it continues to, you know, grow and spread across Western Canada, but obviously get worse in some fields over the next, you know, five or 10 years? Yeah.
3: I think honestly, if you have it on your own farm, be open with your neighbors so they can take the proper actions to kind of prevent it from moving because it really doesn't matter what you're doing it's also what your neighbors are doing if those water runs are coming onto your field or vice versa it's going to spread so is yeah if you can encourage other people to do kind of the proper steps to prevent it i think that's kind of the best thing to do is just make people more aware of it because there's too much of people just burying their head in the sand and pretending they don't have it or yeah just they don't care i think there's too much of that in some areas
0: And Garen, do you, do you think about that in terms of, you know, what the future looks like five or 10 years down the road, or is it just a case of, you know, as you were saying, managing it, you know, as if it could be there already?
2: Yeah. I mean, you do manage it like you have it. If your neighbor has it, you have it. If the wind blows and the water runs, you're obviously going to get it. And nobody wants to get in a situation where they can't grow canola. So everybody's going to try to manage their best. My neighbors all try to manage it. I think it's, uh, taken care of pretty well in our area.
0: And finally, Mark, you get kind of last word here, just in terms of, you know, where do you see and and what are your kind of priorities for, you know, seed going out the door at Pioneer? You know, what are your priorities for the next five to 10 years to make sure growers can, as Garen said, like you want to grow canola. It's too profitable not to, um, you know, but how do you see that need to manage it over the next five to 10 years?
4: Yeah, and I think, at Corteva we're like our strategy is to have all new products with club root resistance going forward, right? We're almost there. We could just got a couple hybrids left and then everything we sell to a farmer would have club root resistance. And that's our strategy is to bring new, new hybrids out with new packages of club root to continue to manage the disease and stay on top of it. Um, we're doing, I mean, since the first year we released it, we've been trying to steadily improve it every year and get better at, having high yield and disease packages for those farmers. And that's one of our key differentiators, I would say, is that our, our disease packages that we offer along with their yield, we're also working on pod shatter um, reduction improvements in all of our genetics. So to have that as well as disease package with with all the hybrids we sell would, is key. And we also have Optimum Gly that we're a new herbicide tolerant trait that we're, we're just launched in the market this year. And we're trying to get all those new club resistance genes that we have and the new sources built into those, um, that germplasm as well. Well, Mark, John, Garen, thanks very much
0: for joining us today on the podcast. Next time on the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast, we take a look at another issue that needs a multi-approach strategy and that's weed control in soybeans. There's no shortage of herbicide-resistant weeds, and having a plan to handle them will mean more bushels in the bin. That's next time. On behalf of the entire team working behind the scenes on this, we appreciate you listening. If you haven't already, you can always check out past episodes of the show in apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your shows. We're even on YouTube with new video episodes. You can follow Pioneer Seeds on Twitter at the handle Pioneer Seeds CA or my personal handle Fresh Air Farmer. And don't forget, if you're ever looking for more information or advice, just ask your local Pioneer rep or visit Pioneer.com
4: Canada.